The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history. Mrs. French's cat is missing. The signs are posted all over town. Have you seen Honey? We've all seen the posters, but nobody has seen Honey the cat. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little piece each time. You have a lot of spirits in here. But there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. Come to us. We are ready. Are you? What's with the, the get up? Oh, I do it blend in. You know, you know, zombies don't mess with other zombies. Buddy of mine, makeup guy, showed me how to do this. Cornstarch, you know, some berries, a little licorice for the ladies. It suits my lifestyle. You know, I like to get out and do stuff. Just wait nine holes in the Riviera. Just walk down. Nobody there. I don't know what the hell's in there. But it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened. In spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and they do film studies type analysis on films that you'll never see in a film studies course syllabus. However... This week's episode may be an exception. There are definitely some horror courses, I'm sure, that take on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It seemed only appropriate to tackle a classic as we uh, pulled Shocktober into the station. This is our final episode of Shocktober for this year. So goodbye, scary movies. Some of you will be quite sad. Some of you will be quite happy that we are moving on to other fare as we move on. But let's do this, though. Let's begin with some introductions across the table, running the soundboard, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and I just can't take no pleasure in podcasting. There's just some things you got to do. Don't mean you have to like it. Very, very good. Thank you very much. To my left, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart. And, <laughs> come on, Dalton, it's going to be a fun trip. <laughs> if I have any more fun today, I don't think I'm going to be able to take it. Thank you very much. Across the table, if you would, ma'am. 
My name's Alexander Bohannon, and that's the last goddamn hitchhiker I ever pick up. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, and I definitely can tell that Saturn is in retrograde. And my name is Dustin Sells, and I am so glad to be here with you all talking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, dear listener, to warn you, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. There will be much spoilerific spoilerage to come very, very soon. But the next five, ten minutes or so, we'll be doing our quick reviews following a quick synopsis. And then we'll break into that. So if you, by chance, have not seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and do not know its secrets, um, then the, you have now been warned. Spoiler alert. There's a massacre, and it involves a chainsaw. And in it's Texas. in Texas. <laughs> Jinx. Pinch poke. Very, very good. All right. Well, let's hear that synopsis from the voice of the cinema. Mr. Arthur Gordon, in your great grindhouse horror voice, if you would, sir. Five friends visiting their grandfather's house in the country are hunted and terrorized by a chainsaw-wielding killer and his family of grave-robbing cannibals. I can't believe we don't pay him for that service, honestly. Uh, he gets paid for most of his services, but we need to move on. Um, and so... <laughs> Bazinga. I almost high-fived you just now. When I high-five you during the live show, I don't know if you guys listen to it, it's it is loud. audible. You, I audibly high-five Dustin. Acoustics! It was awesome. Glorious. Was we are talking in reference to our recent live episode on uh, independent film here locally made called Tempest Fugit, and made by Nick Sanford. That live bonus episode is available to you on the interwebs there at the website in your regular uh, iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever service you happen to use uh, feed. So there it is for you. We do encourage you to listen, and thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who came out. It was a great show, and we're so glad that you were all there. I'm so excited that we did that. I, I hope and think we are going to do more. It was it was a blast, and it was good energy, good crowd, and it was, it was a lot of fun. I think there may be more to come, maybe with movies that people have heard of. And so we'll uh, talk more about that later, so stay tuned, dear listener. I make no promises because that is um, the uh, the greatest hubris I could participate in, and it's like going on a trip and messing with people I shouldn't and getting myself massacred. But let's begin with our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews and a reason or two why the film works. I ask you first, um, horror rookie, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what say you? It was pretty good. I mean, it's a classic for a reason. Set a lot of um, paradigms in place that I think the rest of the horror genre takes from for probably forever after this. I mean, the fact that there's about 50 bajillion Texas Chainsaw spinoffs in various states of 3D, 2D, sequel numbering, etc. Um, didn't Gunner reprise his role? Nope. No. He uh, appears briefly as a different character in the and Texas Chainsaw, colon, 3D. Oh, well, that's sad. They're still making Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. Still, 40 years later. Yeah, so, I mean, it obviously has a legacy for a reason. It sets something in place. I feel like it did what it needed to do well, but, I mean, obviously, in horror movies, you get frustrated with the protagonist being just, like, really dumb a lot of the time. Um, And that was really hard for me at times to suspend my dissatisfaction with their life choices and enjoy the movie. Um, I thought it probably was going to be a little gorier than it actually turned out to be. Um, it has a lot of implied horror and it still wasn't, you know, a walk in the park to watch it. But, you know, I think I was imagining, you know, a lot of kind of dismember torture porn type hostile saw, etc., And probably the, the recent sequels to Texas Chainsaw are more participative, 
because of bu- big budgets and stuff, they can show lots of dismemberments and hacky slashy, you know, in a violent, evil, terrifying kind of way. Um, it did what it did well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any complaints, but I mean, with such a small budget, the fact that it's a cult classic gone true classic is pretty impressive. Hats off to him. Thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? This movie is so upsetting. Uh, now, obviously, um, because we're all weirdos, uh, we've seen this before. Alex is the only first-timer to this film. Fresh face. That being said, I actually only saw it all the way through from start to finish fairly recently uh, with frequent guest and a collaborator at this point, Nick Sanford. Uh, we took a trip to the Alamo Draft House in Kansas City and saw this in a new 4K res- restoration three or four months ago. And that was that was really exciting. Um so obviously watching with you nerds wasn't quite as fun as that. That said, man, this movie's great. And we watched it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it is still infinitely upsetting. It is a... The scene that I always think about that I find, like, really the most distressing in this entire film uh, it takes place in the cab of a pickup truck with the old man. If you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. I, I just... Ugh, that rubs me the wrong way. It, mm-mm. You know, it's really well shot, and um, there's plenty of documentaries and such that talk about how that was probably by accident. Um, but, man, it's beautifully shot. I think it looks great, um, especially seeing as how they were shooting on 16 millimeter and, you know, really big budget constrictions and having to shoot entire sequences in one night. I and mean, shooting sequences over, apparently. You know, well, I mean, there, there's just so much that could have and should have gone wrong, and the fact that it didn't is really impressive. and. I mean, yeah, Alex already touched on this. It's it's so influential. And, I, you know, people always talk about Black Christmas being the first slasher movie. How is this not considered the first slasher movie? Dustin, do you have an opinion on that? They're wielding garden implements? I do not. Okay. I, I mean, the only thing I can think of is there's no, like, active stalking. They all just kind of run into Leatherface. I think that may be part of it. We don't have that, the, the monster hunting the girls down one by one type of yeah. idea. I mean, we have the infamous chase scene, which is really cool. And, and, we, and we have the final long. girl trope, obviously. Yeah. but I think births that, but... Yeah, I mean, it's responsible for a lot of tropes. The point is, it's really good. It's super influential. It holds up really well. There are some weird tonal things, mostly involving Franklin. Uh, just some choices that, that produce unintentional laughs for a modern audience. Um, and some of that's unprofessional actors and some of that 70s acting. It's a little bit of both, I think. Uh, overall, though, solid movie. I give it three and a half lamps made of human faces out of four. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? This is a very intense movie, and speaking to what Dalton was talking about, it is a perfect storm of a film, I believe, uh, where all these pieces came together, uh, the parts greater than the you know the sum of the whole or what have you. But... Um, and I don't think it was any one man's masterpiece. I think it, it was just, it happened somehow, and it was just a wonderful thing. I think there are some very intense high-octane moments that are well captured. The pacing, I think, is done well, uh, very good, um, especially because it gives you plenty of chances to breathe yeah. before setting you up for that final intense act of the film, which is harrowing as all get out. Well, it does something we we typically compliment horror films for on this show, which is, not a lot happens in the first half, and then it's just nonstop insanity for, yeah. the, for the final sequence. Crap, yeah. the crap hits the fan, and it doesn't stop. Um, 
I like this movie. I think it has the status that it has for a very good reason. And while it's not perfect, I think it does have a very unique charm about it, which is admirable. And I, I enjoy it quite a bit. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's part of why I rate it so highly is not because I enjoy it that much. Because, I mean, it's not something I get excited about watching. And it's not without its faults. But because there is that kind of antiquated charm and because you can see how influential it is, I think that definitely knocks it up a couple of notches and just a generic star rating. Yeah, if I were to say, I'd give it four and a half Franklin's falling out of a wheelchair out of six. Very well played, sir. Wow. (laughs) Well, Dustin, what are your thoughts on TTCM? I I like it uh, quite a bit. You know, it's a movie that I have seen quite a few times on an old VHS copy I saw way, way too young. And uh, so, I mean, it's a movie that's been with me, you know, most of my life and uh, better part of a couple decades now. And so it's it's definitely a flick that I dig uh, in many ways. But I have a weird relationship with it because I kind of like it, and it clearly hates me. We've the been phrase s- Dalton says all the time. It, is this, this movie, movie hates, hates you. you. Yeah. Uh, Evil Dead 2013 is one we talk about a lot. Um, I can't remember anything else off the top of my head. Oh, Lords of Salem. Anything by Lars von Trier. Yeah, yes. definitely Antichrist. Yeah. Those are films that hate you. And I think, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre definitely falls in that category of a film that wants you to be unhappy. And an adjective that I've used before is it's a cynical film, and it's absolutely that. It's a very, very cynical movie. And, you know, what's great is that it's still entertaining whilst holding that posture. There are a lot of movies out there that are, are sort of antagonistic towards its audience that, that are not actually entertaining. I'm thinking of Sweet Movie as an example, which is not really horror so much as it is gross, as scatological. Yeah, I was thinking of Antichrist. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, mean, I take no pleasure or joy or entertainment in watching that movie. There, I'm. The thing is about Antichrist, and this is a different show, obviously. But mm-hmm. I think there are moments that are beautiful and really fascinating, and then there are these punctuation marks that are really upsetting. I, I guess th- that's fair. I think Funny Games would fall in this category. Anything by Michael Haneck, usually. Yeah, Michael Haneck is kind of notorious for making that sort of film. Yeah, You're right. and he definitely uh, Amour would be an example of that as well. I'd say so. But th- this movie kind of falls in those sort of camps. You know, it's it, it's a movie that really um, is doing everything it can to upset its audience, and yet it remains massively entertaining. And so, you know, finding that balance, you know, probably by dumb luck and chance and the, the planets aligning in a proper way uh, for them, it, that's, that's really all that, they, that the movie has going for it. So, you know, it's, it's a movie that I would give, you know, I don't know, um, seven and three quarters of meat hooks out of nine and a third. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's a movie I like a lot. I stopped coming up with funny number combinations. I need to go back to doing that. <laughs> and so let's move on though. Cause we're not here to do this. We're here to bring analysis. And so, um, the thunder is going to be brought in this evening, uh, concerning the movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So with that analysis coming, the thunder being brought in, I ask it to be brought forth first by God of thunder, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What I want to look at with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an extension of what I talked about when we did Cropsey. Uh, Cropsey discusses the idea of urban legends and how they are developed throughout the years. Urban legends are traditionally oral constructs passed down by the friend of a friend of a friend who heard it on campus or in class or what have you. This then develops, and different regions of the U.S. each have their own unique takes on different tales. And, of course, urban legends are the next evolution of regional folk tales. Uh, We move... um, from something like the girl hitchhiker and the passing wagon, which evolves over the years and modernizes uh, with each generation. Over time, and as we become a more plugged-in people, film and viral media has become the new oral construct through which the urban legends are developed and, of course, passed down. And while we have more information at our fingertips to fact-check these rumors and tales, 
Uh, most oftentimes we don't. We simply take people at their word and blindly and stupidly proclaim these tales as truth. Uh, this is often seen through social media with Facebook articles and shares, retweets, and YouTube videos. I don't know how many times I've seen uh, articles from The Onion proclaimed as truth. And so uh, there's no good number that can capture the amount of people who have posted videos online of things blowing up or near-impossible things happening, only to find out that it was done through After Effects or Photoshop. Now, this transition into this new construct, I believe, happens at three key times throughout the latter part of the 20th century. In 1974, 1992, and 1999, three different films all appeared, each perpetuating and convincing an audience of people that there was a 100% truth behind what was presented. This probably happened most successfully with 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre and 99's Blair Witch, while 1992's Candyman seemed to be more of a regional story. All three of these films had people believing that there was a huge grain of truth to build from. Many people will tell you, just as they will with other urban legends they grew up with, that the stories presented in these films are 100% truth, and you can't convince them otherwise. I myself heard many classmates in high school proclaiming the validity of TCM, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a definitely a real thing. Gunnar Hansen tells stories about meeting people who um, say they were prison guards, saying that they were prison guards who knew Leatherface while he was in the joint. So it, it is a thing that happens, and people believe it, and it gets passed down. Uh, and this is accomplished through several means within the film. First and foremost, the film is very raw. It's gritty. It's painful to watch. The film is solidified and given nearly 100% credibility uh, with the opening narration, which outlines the story and what we're about to see. It essentially gives away the story, letting us know that there will be few survivors, and it gives us this documentary feel. Um, from there, we move into these expose-style shots, uh, which show us stolen corpses, which are highlighted with these kind of manipulated um, light bulb, photo bulb, camera shot sound effects that kind of make it very eerie and very chilling. And these, these shots, these expose-style shots, they show us these stolen corpses, which have been defiled. And this adds to the documentary aspect of the film. The shots are then backed by a news report, which once again also establishes a credibility that anything can happen in this rural Texas area. The film also bases itself in reality and establishes a realistic enough style and story uh, that there certainly could be truth to it. Uh, with this basis out of the life of Ed Gain, uh, which has certainly been caricatured to extremes over the last several years and decades, uh, namely with Psycho, Hitchcock Psycho, um, and probably most notably with Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, was she a great big fat person? Uh, she was. Uh, there is enough of a belief that there could be a psycho that makes furniture and clothing from human skin because we've seen this recently uh, within our society, and there is this underlying hidden darkness behind what we portray to one another. Uh, Leatherface himself is not a supernatural stalker like we would see with Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers. He feels pain. He's scared. He's confused. He's not a machine like the other killers. He does what he does for his family, and that is how he's been raised. He is a victim of circumstance and not an outright psychopath or killer. There's also this underlying horror theme. When we first meet the other members of the family, they seem more normal than what we find out about them at the end of the film. Uh, specifically, the shopkeeper slash father figure, uh, I think credited as old man in the credits, who runs the local gas station, even even warns the kids, hey, go on up the road. We don't have a gas shipment. Keep going. And The Harbinger, if you're uh, taking notes based on Cabin in the Woods. The lambs are here for slaughter. But the Harbinger, in this case, is not providing warning. He is actually one of the sources of threat. Yes. Good point. Uh, this Do you have me on speakerphone? Oh, no. Uh, this plays into the idea that everyone has a hidden darkness, uh, the same kind of darkness that uh, Bundy and Dahmer and others had 
they seemed pleasant and helpful on the surface, yet there was something more to them. Uh, so it was natural and easy to believe that a family like this could exist. Couple this with the rural setting where a more simple folk seemed to exist in the country where anarchy factors in more than governing rules and policies, uh, taking people out into the woods from the city, uh, these type of hippie, um, peace-loving folk going out into this very rural country area. It's almost very scary, and it kind of harkens back to the Blair Witch uh, Project show where we've taken these uh, students out into the woods and left them completely out of their element. And so we see this again at play here um, because the country, the unknown, is very horrifying to us. Um, and there's a greater darkness here and a level of unpredictability as opposed to an urban setting. And the final argument I'll make here is within the third act of the film, it is a torture to watch as we get the dinner sequence around the table and roughly oh. what seems like an eternity of screaming uh, from Marilyn Burns in the lead role here. That girl it, screams for half an hour. Her lungs are, are un, unmatched. Uh, it is unrelenting for the audience, and in a time when movies were only accessible through theaters and not home viewing, it would take a greater toll on the audience and push them to a point where the lines of reality and fiction were blurred. Uh, the movie forces into your psyche and doesn't leave you alone. Uh, without the ability to revisit or research the film, as we can do now with Google, as we're watching, my wife was watching the film with us, and uh, halfway through the film, she's on her phone googling Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the events, and you know the real the real reality of the events. Uh, you wouldn't have this ability in '74. Uh, you're certainly just entrapped in this movie in a dark room for an hour and a half, and to leave that would leave you one, I think, kind of in shock or awe at what they just saw. Um, and so all of these factors within the film uh, came together to help convince audiences that what they saw was true. And it, is a and it is a legend that grew throughout the years, and even to this day is widely believed. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much. You did bring the thunder as the god of thunder, Thor would. Now as the god of mischief, Loki might. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you? I bring mischief? Yeah, you bring mischief. Mischief. Fair enough. Well, I guess, fittingly, we're going to talk about the other. I'm sure we've talked about that on the show before, uh, but I want to go ahead, and I, I don't know if we've really explained nuts and bolts what that means before. So I'm just going to read from Wikipedia right now because I feel like their opening paragraph is, is really well put, so we're going to do that. From Wikipedia, the other and the constitutive other are key concepts in continental philosophy and in the social sciences. As such, the other opposes the same. The terms the other and otherness refer to who is and what is alien and divergent from the norm, from identity, and from the self. The constitutive other usually denotes a different and comprehensible self that is external to one's own self. Thus, the word other usually is capitalized because, conceptually, the other is a mystification reduced to a fetish by a hegemonic subject. That so, was your NPR voice. So what the fuck does that mean? Well, let me tell you. I'm going to approach it from a sociological standpoint rather than a philosophical standpoint, which um, you can do both with the other in philosophical terms, which is where the other has its its roots. Uh, Hegel was one of the first people to be really um, attributed to talking about the other in these terms, but Sartre, Lacan, these are all guys who talked a lot about the other, especially early on, even Kierkegaard. I mean, these are all very famous philosophers, but, uh, you know, Social scientists, uh, sociologists really kind of took it and ran with it in the early 20th century. So what does the other mean? What did that paragraph I just read to you mean? Essentially what it's saying is well, exactly what it sounds like. The other is not you. More importantly, not only is it not you, it's not everyone around you. The other is 
this, as it said, mystification, this other, like the others in Lost, essentially. There are other people that are out there, and you don't really know a whole lot about them other than that they exist, but you don't really know what they want, why they do what they do, or what they think about. And it doesn't have to be someone from, the word alien is used there, that doesn't mean somebody who's from another country. It's someone with a different experience than you, a different set of goals and philosophies and opinions from you, a different upbringing than you. So why are we talking about this with Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Well, what we see is a group of fairly relatable white teenagers um, on a fairly relatable drive to go make sure their grandfather's corpse didn't get mutilated. Okay, well, that part's not very relatable. Not very relatable, no. No, but they're all white and samely, and except for the invalid, um, I feel like um, that was a joke. They use the word invalid in this movie. It's horrifying. It really is. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I, I saw it 10 years old, and I went, that's not okay. Exactly. You don't You don't say that. But for the most part, I feel like Tobe Hooper, and I always say Tobe because that's how his name spelled, the fool. Uh, Toby Hooper, uh, I feel like... Gob Bluth. I feel like, <laughs> thank you. They all went out of their way, the writers and casters and directors of this film, went out of their way, director of this film, went out of their way to present you with a very relatable audience for 1974. What they stumble across is a group of individuals that could not be further removed from them. They are poor. They are uneducated. They have no little to no interaction with outside society. And they murder and eat people. They are other. They are different. They are not to be understood. And obviously you say, yeah, well, cannibalism's bad. I agree. But what happens here? <laughs> Dear listener, the good trash genre cast does not endorse cannibalism. You are correct. Would you like my meadow? Try some of my grass. Please have a plate. Please do. It's so delectable and so darn good looking. You can eat the grass. Of course you can. Everything in this room is eatable. Even I'm eatable. But that is called cannibalism, my dear children, and is in fact frowned upon in most societies. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is carrying on something that goes back as far as I can think about in film. Um, Birth of a Nation, 1920, what? 1914. 1914? Even earlier. See, there you go. 1914. Very, very, very early days of film. We have a movie that is unapologetically racist. It is actively othering black people. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is actively othering poor people. Actively othering the uneducated and the rural. Now, othering isn't necessarily a problem. Uh, it's definitely a problem. It, it, it rears its ugly head most frequently in horror film, I'd say. Um, although you can see it in plenty of films, at least today, it rears its head most frequently in horror films. But why is the other a problem? The other gives you an excuse not to get to know people. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre upholds this trope that continues in horror film today where you could say, well, they're weird, they're evil, they're different, we can kill them with impunity because they are not us. They are different and they are bad. Unequivocally bad. Which, in the context of the film, yeah, they're bad. They're real bad, except for Leatherface, who's kind of a misunderstood protagonist in a lot of ways, I think. I said protagonist, I meant antagonist. I just say all of this to say this, listener. 
keep your brain on when you're watching a movie. Think about what the film is saying. Do I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is saying you shouldn't bother to get to know people? Not really. I don't think it's saying anything, honestly. I think it's just trying to scare the shit out of you. It might be suggesting that rednecks are evil. I mean, I, I think that that there is sort of a um, qualitative judgment. You think so? Uh, I think so. I mean, it's kind of got a, a kind of a deliverance vibe to it in that sense. Hmm. I, I just think it's trying to scare the shit out of you. What I think is that it's hard for people to watch it and not instantly be afraid of people who live in the woods. I don't think it's saying you should be afraid of people who live in the woods. But author's intent be damned. It doesn't matter what Toby Hooper was trying to say. Correct. What the Texas Chainsaw Massacre does is make you go, I am never, ever, ever stopping out of house in the middle of nowhere and knocking on the door. Not a fucking chance. And you probably shouldn't because you just shouldn't go knocking on strangers' doors. That's rude. Well, they actually, like, opened the door and were like... Ooh, it was I'm a different poo around. There's a little home invasion going on. It was there. a different time. Yeah. So, listener, that's all I ask is keep your eyes open because what happens is we use the other to justify the bad things we do. It's what happened throughout the 18th, 19th, and 20th century is we invaded places and took their shit because they weren't us. Um, and well, we in were the able... 21st century as well. Well, you know, all centuries. I was thinking specifically of capital I imperialism, which mm. is ongoing today, but I'm thinking specifically the expansion of the British Empire and the American Empire. I would just say watch about a two hours of the news cycle and you'll notice an othering of certain groups of people, you know, for justifications for war and or legislation. Absolutely fair. But I did a preachy one last week, so I'm not doing that this time. Oh, sorry. I'll preach a little. I'm just asking to keep your eyes open, listener, and, you know, bother to think about what the movies are telling you and what they're saying because the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is talking about the other. And, you know, maybe uh, get to know people before you make a judgment. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, god of mischief, uh, goddess of war, and also beauty, Freya, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, if you would. That was so nice of you. That was so nice it's of you. It's a strange combination, though. Really. No, I, I, I dig it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Freya's a weird one. Yeah. Um, so today, kind of coming off of what Dalton was talking about in his othering, I also have kind of an othering are you okay yeah i'm fine anothering concept to talk about as well and that is uh disabilities especially in america Ooh. yeah i mean okay so how much invalid invalid. that totally from the beginning of the movie the fact that invalid was in the synopsis i was just like okay that means i really need to pay attention to that character and then come to find out that leatherface is because, okay, listener, I came into this movie thinking that Leatherface was the mastermind. He, like, sews people's faces together, and he chops them off, and then he puts them on, and then, like, he likes disemboweling people and eating them. This is what happens when you approach things with your preconceived notions, Alex. Yeah, I should stop doing that. I should stop othering the Texas you Chainsaw Massacre. You should, because we spent eight weeks telling you this movie isn't what you think it is. Yeah, well, I didn't want to, like, spoilerify myself before I... Before I watched it, so. were it not coming from the god of mischief, I would understand why you believe it. <laughs> anyway, so the fact that I actually, in watching the movie, we find out that Leatherface probably is on um, some kind of um, intellectual, auto- intellectually challenged. I believe is the new preferred vernacular. Okay, if he's intellectually challenged, maybe has some form some form of developmental disability to where he doesn't process right from wrong. And I did find it interesting that they cast him um, kind of larger, which you don't really see large horror movie 
antagonist. You don't like really think about it. Rule and, one of zombie land cardio. Yeah, exactly. So um, that could, you know, imply some things about his, what kind of disability he has. Um, but I don't, I can't really talk intelligently about that, but you know, it can imply some things. There. Yes. Um, so the fact that he and Franklin are both suffering from some form of either bodily or mental impairment. Um, this is just really interesting topic. I think for a horror movie to cover because they could have not had a wheelchair bound guy in this film. Yeah, that's absolutely a deliberate choice. I think it right. was easier to not cast a person like that. Yeah, definitely. And they definitely could have, Although I do want to remind listeners, the actor who played Franklin, not actually in wheelchair bound in any way. Yeah, the, because that pushing him out of a van would have been extremely cruel if that was the <laughs> that was. It's oh. still pretty cruel anyway. I think we came Doubly to the consensus cruel. that Toby Hooper would definitely throw someone who was wheelchair bound <laughs> down a hill, even if they actually needed that wheelchair. Um, but I don't know about the the recent incarnations of Texas Chainsaw. But in the further versions, is Leatherface still mentally oh, yeah. cha- impaired? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. No doubt. I, I've seen this one, Texas Chainsaw 3D, parts of one of the sequels, and the remake. But he does he kind of stay in... My question is, because he's forced with dealing with these intruders. I mean, he's just been eating animals and whatever his... No, he eats people. Well, yeah, I was about to, like, get to that. Yeah. He... But does he go out and, like, search for people? No, he doesn't leave the house. No. Yeah. Leatherface is a murder tool used by his family. Yeah. And really, I mean, he's just defending his house. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's very sympathetic. Exactly. And that's... That was kind of where I wanted to go with, with this analysis was the just the subjugation of people with disabilities obviously in america obviously everywhere in the entire world everywhere because people were institutionalized and tortured and thrown into prison and ghastly heinous terrible awful things for you know some disabilities obviously none of it is their fault they can't help it um you know whether it's physical impairment club foot or you know, yeah. This is a reminder for you, listener, that the Spanish Inquisition did not just like killing women; they also liked killing gay people and people with disabilities, yeah. much like the Holocaust. Am I saying that the Catholic Church perpetrated a Holocaust? No. Where am I? So, in 1990, the administration in Washington passed the Americans with Disabilities Act, which kind of standardized a lot of um, a lot of environmental issues that have to deal more specifically for um, those with physical disability, um, open and free access to certain public buildings, wheelchair uh, wheelchair ramps, elevators, yeah, handicap exactly parking. having Hand a rails. standard yeah. standard thing. Although one interesting commentary, and I think that can be related, is that America has this thing where th- okay. In the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we we see that we have problems dealing with certain subsets of a population that we other, to go back to Dalton's point. So what we do is we introduce policy to try and fix that, um, but it but it doesn't, and it doesn't really because there are exceptions to every policy. My case in point is my building at work is 
from you know the 19 teens OU's an old campus um it's been there's a, a huge grandfathering in period for ADA accessibility if you're in a wheelchair you cannot get into our building yet it is it is grandfathered in to the Americans with Disabilities Act is it a historical you, the, building it is a historical building there you go I yeah. know I know that's why it's grandfathered in but there's not even one of those little stair lifts to get into the building to the first floor then you could take the elevator if you're that far build a fucking ramp give me six hours they spent that 10 grand on football pads i'm sure yeah anyway um and it's also really sadly ironic that the handicap restroom stall is on the fourth floor i'm just saying are you kidding me no that's some bullshit yes there might be we there might be elevator accessibility on the first floor, but everyone there is a sign outside the building that says not ADA compliant or something. I mean, huh. I mean it's ADA compliant because it's grandfathered in, but not accessible. Okay, not ADA. Yeah, so, so it basically says we we suck. Sorry. Yeah, we suck. Sorry. Um. So that all being said, it's it's really an interesting thing that. Whenever we, you know, right now in the 21st century, we look back at this stuff and be like, oh, he calls him an invalid. This guy has a serious mental problem, but yet his murderous family makes him do all this stuff and he's not being helped. He's on, you know, this antipsychosis medication. He's not trying to get fixed in any way. We look back on that and then we get on this high horse. But in reality, aren't are we, we do, so much better? Are we so much better? Exactly. That that's kind of where I wanted to leave the listener thinking tonight. Is whenever you think about people with disabilities, I mean, there is a lot of great change happening. But is it really change, or is it just amounting to talk? Well, people well become identified by their apparatus. You know, I have a dear, dear friend who is, um, you know, permanently muscular dystrophy bound mm. to a wheelchair. And, uh, you know, we were at a restaurant one time and we were getting tables. And I just said, you know, just sort of, um, you know, just talking, I guess, you know, we got, we got four people, we got a wheelchair too. And uh, she goes, you know, I'm not a wheelchair. And, uh, you know, it. That's really funny. And you know she's what good, she said to you. Yeah, and she's a good friend. And she can get away, you know, and all that, and it was fine. But I mean, that's what we do, though, right? Yeah. We we have a we have three people in a wheelchair, you know. And, uh, yeah. And it, it is a dehumanization that happens, and it's so easy, and it's and it's not just Toby Hooper being, you know, a jerk pushing face. people out of yeah out it's of not minivans. Just, it's not just 1974. It's 19 or it's not just 1974. It's 2014. Yeah, we're all guilty. Yeah, and. Uh, so guilty so guilty am i i can't even i have more examples from my own life than i care to try and think of and it sucks and i i I think it's very easy to lose sight of your advantages and your privilege thank you you're welcome i was trying to think of good words um it's very easy to lose sight of those things i'm not just talking about race and gender but it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that you were fortunate enough to be you know, born with all of your parts where they typically are supposed to be. And working, suppo- kind of. And supposed. Not a nice word. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's so hard to, to try and use vernacular that is inclusive. And uh, people talk a lot about, oh, political correctness is blow censorship. Blah, blah. Fuck you. It's just being a nice person, not hurting anybody's feelings. I think that's that's what it comes down to. Just try to be a nicer person. I really like that analysis, Alex. I think you did a good job of pointing out some things that we often don't bother to think about. 
All right, thank you very much. Uh, what I want to say is I'm going to do a little bit of a reading about what's going on as a uh, possible uh, meaning uh, within the film and uh, just sort of some of the signs and, and whatnot that we see in it. And I, I'm going to read the film as a uh, public service announcement for PETA. And uh, and it, it, it totes is um, because – Mate. You have this – I mean, yeah, it's, it's all about meat. And mate. In fact, Toby Hooper is on record talking about that the movie's about meat. That that's what it's actually about. But also, fuck author, author's intent. Well, true that, true that. But they start out, you know, driving past a slaughterhouse, which is actually a feedlot, but, you know, guerrilla filmmaking and no budget. So that's fair and fine. And they have this conversation about uh, what happens inside of a slaughterhouse. And it, it, it's that whole idea of, you know, no one likes to eat sausage after they know how the sausage is made. And uh, that's, that's sort of the same idea, is that if you know what's happening to the animals, you might think it differently. And, of course, when they pick up the hitchhiker, they have this whole conversation about how it killed them better with a sledge. You know, this sort of monstrosity. They died better. Uh, then the, the, the Anton Chigurh, um, No Country for Old Men gun. And uh, so that development's discussed. It, that disgusted. Uh, dude, that's a Freudian slip, isn't it? That that um, development is discussed, and uh, you are to be disgusted based on it. And uh, and throughout the rest of the film is what you see is sort of a role reversal of the treatment of animals, again, from a very much a PETA sort of standpoint, um, uh, and it being turned over towards people. And, of course, um, you know, one of the major tenets of PETA is that if you would do it to a person, you shouldn't. Or you, rather, you should not do this to a person. You should not do it to an animal. And so what happens to the, the teenagers in the van is they're treated like animals. They're hunted like animals. They're, they are um, total, utter fear for their lives, hung on racks, sometimes still living. This is all stuff that actually happens. Uh, their, their body parts are used for decorations and for furniture. So there's this awful scene where uh, one, one of the young ladies runs into one of the other the wrong room, and it's full of feathers and chicken bones and, and also human bones and, and the furniture. And, of course, this is playing off some of the Ed Gein you know, mythos uh, semi-factoids uh, that, that are tied to all of that. But the, the, the entirety of the film, though, it, it's about this treatment of animals and how the last moments of an animal's life um, probably seems inside of a factory farm. And also the use of, you know, body parts for, for clothing and also for, um, you know, decoration. And uh, that, that it's, it, it's sort of this awful, horrible, abhorrent event that's taking place. And so in, in the last moments when, um, as Marilyn Burns is getting into the back of the uh, pickup truck, there's a sort of a static giggling like the one pig that got out of the pen. The, the, the one, you know, escaping animal that has been hunted and been corralled and cattle prodded in directions um, that she didn't want to go. And Fun fact, pigs are as smart as a three-year-old, they think. Yeah, well, they're definitely as smart as dogs, so there's something to think about on that level as well. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, you know, say I'm going with PETA in any way, shape, or form. And, I've seen and, Dustin eat meat several times. I, I like it, and uh, but I do understand the difference between factory farm and uh, the the difference between ethical um, slaughter, and there there's definitely something to, to be said about that. Uh, there's ethical ways to raise animals, uh, you know, chicken breeding and chicken farming uh, is a thing that is sort of horrendous. Free range or bust, man. And there's an example of that with the chicken in the cage uh, that you see in the film. Mm -hmm. You know, and the poor girl in the freezer directly thereafter. And uh, I, I think the connection's there on purpose. 
and yeah. and so when you when you consider these sort of things and people you know uh, or rather animals you know forced to live in their own filth and forced to uh, you know be very very packed in and live lives of just utter horror terror and fear uh, you know it does raise some really really important questions I think um, though again I don't know that we need you know the the statement is you know you shouldn't kill other animals for food is it, said somewhere in the van on the way and I'm going to say. Evolutionarily speaking, I think we're designed to eat, pe- eat, eat people. We're designed Freudian slip <clears throat> to eat meat um, as part of, uh, of just the human um, structure. But but that being said, um, there are there are ways that are ethical that are considerate, and there are ways that are just inconsiderate and unethical. And I think the inconsideration is what precedes that which is unethical, is when we don't think about it, when we put all that sort of stuff aside, because that's really the problem I think the film is trying to put forward more than anything, less so than making, you know, sort of the uh, the, the party platform of PETA to be the uh, ethical po- posture of human society or American society. I think rather it's just saying, listen, this is what we're doing. And uh, we're not saying maybe not do what we're doing, but maybe there are different ways and ethical ways to do that, and maybe do less of it, uh, which is definitely something to consider as well. Yeah, I mean, um, American meat consumption has just increased over the past few years, and there's infographics floating around, and I can't quote them for you, dear listener, but you should check them out, about um, how much, how many how many resources it takes to ha- produce one pound of beef, so one much. pound of chicken, one pound of pork, or even this, the grains to to even give those animals sustenance um it you know how much water it takes to do that how much energy it takes from diminishing returns exactly exactly it's it's a lot and you know there's a lot of arguments that even because i'm a meat eater i love meat meat is delicious um but at the same time there are a lot of arguments for decreasing consumption just because you know it's not a sustainable activity Dustin, what you did was point out that we other animals and we justify our murder and eating of them because they're not us. The, the, well, this raises the real philosophical question, Bingo. whether or not the word murder is applied. Well, and as someone who had a steak for dinner tonight, um, I came to terms with the fact that what I'm doing is really very difficult to ethically justify. Because um, it's hard uh, when you eat factory produced meat it's pretty damn difficult to justify it uh and i just stopped trying and just accepted that i can only give a shit about three things um at most and eating animals isn't one of them unfortunately my brain's too wrapped up in uh poverty and gender equality unfortunately and i'll think of a third one later well, and I think that really does raise the point because, you know, those concerns are fundamentally human concerns. And I think the, the question of sentience yeah, absolutely. is important to consider. And so, again, I think there is a human responsibility uh, for all of the creatures on the planet. And as such, they, that they be treated well and, 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 you know, all that follows thereafter. So I'm, I'm, I'm against thinking there are ways to eat meat. That Just make I think- sure you sneak up on it. <laughs> Which I do, and uh, which is a whole other story. Uh, I'm an avid hunter, and those, but that again relates to other questions and other you know concerns and whatnot. So it, it does. I mean, I think the movie does really raise a lot of um, fascinating um, lenses on just uh, American food consumption. I, I guess it comes back to the uh, the quote political correctness thing. Don't be a dick. Like think about what you think about your actions. Right. Right. And just how they affect the world around be you. Be aware and be considerate. And I think, if nothing else, the film does that. Now, I mean, I'm not going to advocate uh, the position that it seems to take, but I will 
goes so far because I, I think it does equate humans with animals. Do, well, uh, uh, do you know if Toby Hooper eats meat? He or, does not. He act- stopped eating meat during the making of the film. And also, fun fact: Guillermo del Toro gave up meat after watching the film. That's really interesting. That is really Guillermo del Toro doesn't eat meat. Apparently not. He's a big guy. Well, you know, what rice. is he eating? <laughs> a lot of pasta. A lot of pasta. A lot of pasta. A lot, a lot, of, pasta. Pasta. A lot um, of tortillas. I don't see, it doesn't seem like he eats many salads. No. A lot of cheese. <laughs> I, I, there's no way he's a vegan. No. There's no I, way. I, I can't imagine. Do you guys know any obese vegans? I do not. Me neither. No. Mm-mm. I know Listener. a lot of malnourished looking vegans. Yeah, yes. me too. One of my, a friend of mine who's vegan. He's, he's so little. Listener, find me an obese vegan. I'm just curious. That sounds. I have seen. Actually, a, you know what? Don't do that. That sounds really fucked I up. I found a. There is a vegan bodybuilder. A friend of mine sent. Fascinating. Yeah, he looks good. So, mm, just a uh, just a <laughs> lot of just a lot of tofu. A lot of tofu. A lot of something. I don't, don't know. Get protein somehow. A lot, a lot of way. A lot, a lot of, of a lot of roids. That too, probably. <laughs> There's a possibility. Well, thank you so much to your co-host for some sparkling analysis. Fun one. Um, fun, you know, uh, definitely uh, analysis worthy of a pantheon of Norse gods. So, well done. Um, very, very proud Wait, of you. Which all. one are you? I don't know. We Odin, need to give you one. The oldest of all. Yeah. Yes. Oh. The All-Father. The all oh, I was just going to say that he's the best. The All-Father. And he's blind in one eye. My, Are you blind bl- in one he eye? He also has two ravens that protect the land. <laughs> no, we're just making <laughs> shit up now. And two wolves. <laughs> <laughs> hey Arthur, can you do me a favor? Can you just say Mjolnir like really triumphantly? Mjolnir. Cool. Thank you very much. All right, well let's uh move on after that dear listener. We'd love to hear what you think of our analysis and perhaps you would like to give us all names from some sort of uh um, you know, pagan pantheon. Uh, that would be very fun times. I'd no, love... I'm fine with Loki cuz w- Tom Hiddleston's Loki. I would love to hear what the that could be Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. That's sad times. <laughs> him Chris Hemsworth. Well, that's true. Well, Frey is not yeah. in those movies. <laughs> the shoe fits, uh, or the beard fits. Uh, moving right along, though, dear listener, we'd love to hear what you think about our analysis. Um, we will have opportunity later to lodge that. We have some guesses of what you might say. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. And now uh, we're going to move on and uh, come to the verdict portion of our show where we say if this film is worth the shelf or the trash and then recommend our else's or instead's. Mr. Dalton Sturt, what say you? I'm going to say shelf. Uh, again, this is not a film I enjoy watching. Uh, it's not something I look forward to watching. But I can't deny that it's good, and I can't deny that it uh, it is thrilling and exhilarating and horrifying, uh, and I cannot deny that it is historically important. So, yeah, shelf that shit. Uh, Elsa instead, though, I'm, I'm thinking really, first of all, I want to talk about two films uh, that are both horror films that one – Super Others, and one actually addresses it. The first is Night of the Living Dead, uh, George Romero's film, and we've talked um, a couple of times recently about Dustin's analysis in regard to aliens and all infection movies as uh, fascist fantasies in a way. And I think it's important to continue to take that reading into any infection film you watch. I think it was Aliens. Was it Aliens? I believe it was The Thing. That's right. It was The Thing. You're right. So, Endearing Shocktober. 
Um, and Night of the Living Dead, kind of responsible, and by kind of, I mean responsible for the modern zombie film and how we know zombies as we know them today, is all about othering and hiding and murdering, and it ends with someone being killed um, because they're different. So I think Night of the Living Dead is a really interesting horror film that involves cannibalism to check out. Um, because there's some othering going on there. A film that kind of subverts othering in horror films, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, one of the first films a listener ever requested we do, and we still haven't done it almost 100 episodes later. <laughs> because we troll the audience. And also we just keep forgetting about it. Uh, that's a film starring uh, Alan Tudyk and... Oh, God, I can't ever remember his name. I like him. Tyler. Tyler Labine. I also looked it up as I was remembering it. Um, and it's got... That one girl from 30 Rock. Check it out. It's it's interesting, um, and it does a lot to subvert the killer hillbillies tropes. Really, I, I think most of all, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it says, what if you are misunderstanding, the group of teenagers is misunderstanding these people, and really they're not doing anything wrong at all for the entirety of this film. They're just trying to go fish and drink beer. It's it's funny. It's, it's, it's played re- so well. It's really funny, and it's even funnier if you've seen a lot of horror movies. Uh, lastly, a film about cannibalism that has really damn good cinematography, and that's The Silence of the Lambs. Do that. Do all three of those. Watch them now. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, Miss Alex V. Bohannon, what say you? Well, I would definitely say Shelf V is for my middle name. And uh, um, cool. definitely Shelf this film. It is good. It, ha- it has historical merit. It is well done either on purpose or on accident for on Toby Hooper's part. Um, it, I forgot to give it a review, so let's say it is 8 out of 12 finger-looking-good scenes. <laughs> You're a monster. I know. If you've seen it, you'll know what I mean, listener. Um, so, yes, it is a, a film worth checking out, and um, I would suggest you go do that. I only have one movie um, inspired by uh, Dustin's reading for this, and it is the documentary Food, Inc., which is a unnerving and uh, forthright telling of the American meatpacking and other food industries, and it definitely shows a lot of the stuff that I feel like Dustin was talking about. So if you want to have your stomach turned, consider giving that one a go. That is well worth your time, and definitely along the lines of what I was talking about. Very well played, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Arthur Gordon Jr., what say you? Is he really a junior? I am. Is there more of you? How does that My never father. come up? Well, I know, but like... <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know no if there was a third. There is no third. Okay. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is on my shelf. Uh, if you're into horror or collecting movies, it's a must-have. Um... Historically, I think it has a lot of appeal and importance, even though its franchise legacy is severely lacking. In fact, of all the iconic horror slashers, Mike Myers, Jason, Freddy, Jigsaw, and so forth, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is probably the only one not to have spawned a successful franchise. Emphasis on successful. That's While there have point. been sequels, or good. they're oh. not as successful as, say, the other the, pantheon of horror I mean, icons. All, almost every single variation of Texas Chainsaw has several years between entries. Because and they're generally a reboot or replay of the original yeah, film. The only ones that are even close to cohesive are the r- remake and the prequel to the remake. Uh, and those have a cohesive cast and narrative. Um, and they were, you know, only about three years apart. The others are, I mean, between even the most recent ones, 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre colon the beginning and Texas Chainsaw colon 3D. I mean, there's about seven years. Yeah. And I think that speaks to that perfect storm feel of the original film. Mm -hmm. And the studio has always been trying to recapture that magic and it's just never clicked. And so it hasn't been able to, to get off the ground as a full franchise. Um, but I digress. I would recommend uh, some odd films to watch with this. First, as has been alluded to already, I'd say watch No Country for Old Men because cattle guns. Then I would suggest another bad trip film, uh, partially because I was not here for uh, Blair Witch. But to throw this in, I would say Spring Breakers starring James Franco. Uh, pair that here. And finally, uh, I'd pair this with another film that while watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre with my co-host, I thought I would like to see these two actors uh, – do some parody work of certain scenes in this film being that being James Franco and uh, Mr. Seth Rogen. And so with this, I would also say watch pineapple express just for fun. Uh, finally, I would echo uh, Miss Bohannon because while listening to Dustin give his analysis, food Inc came to mind and I have submitted several classes to that documentary and I think it is very interesting. And so I would echo her opinion there. Uh, there you have it. Thank you very much. Very well played, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I am also going to say Shelf. It's definitely worth your time. It's de it's, it's probably, for a great many of our listeners, a single watch. Mm -hmm. um, it's a one-timer, for sure. For um, a lot I've of seen it more than that, um, and I think it's worth watching. Again, you know, historical value, uh, influence, you know, tropage creation, you know, all of those sort of reasons uh, justify owning the film and looking at it more than just the one time that you borrow it or Netflix it or whatever mm -hmm. um, for that. Um, my, my else, I am going to recommend um, colon 3d Texas Chainsaw Massacre colon 3d. Um, it has its merits. It's not the most well executed uh, film of all time, but nor is the film in question for that matter. Mm -mm. But it is an interesting backstory dealing with that sympathetic view of the character of Leatherface. And for that reason, I find it kind of fascinating. That, that's the best thing about it is it has some really interesting ideas about the lore of the franchise and it does some kind of cool stuff. And also, Hottie, with a hard name to pronounce, Alexandra Didgeridoo from True Detective is in there. Didgeridoo? Didgeridoo, yeah. <laughs> she is actually a solid performance. I There is a lot of good in that movie. It's just outweighed by the monstrous amount of bad. That's a fair point. And then my other recommendations, a documentary not mentioned so far, I'm going to recommend The Cove, uh, which is uh, about dolphin slaughter. And uh, talk about an animal of great intelligence being slaughtered for meat. And also othering, and, because yeah. you can say, well, at least we don't kill dolphins. Right. Well, the othering of the dolphins and the othering of the, of the Japanese. Japanese yeah, I was referring uh, to. absolutely. Both places are there. And it's, it's a fascinating documentary. And it's a documentary shot like one of the Bourne films. So if you think, man, documentary is not my cup of tea, listen, this is like a heist movie. And so it's really because it's, it's not legal for them to get the footage that they're going to get. And mm -hmm. most of the documentary entails how they sneak around to get the footage. Is anybody else thinking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy right now? No. Not in the context of this original film. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Okay, now, thank you. <laughs> all right, well, thank you very much, um, dear co-host, for those recommendations. Dear listener, I believe you may have some homework. Let's move on to the part of the show where you are able to uh, participate in the conversation, where we review some feedback, and also you know how to give us more feedback about our reviews, our analysis, your else's or instead's, and your suggestions for our later in the show gameplay. And so I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you have any information about social media means by which a conversation may be held? 
Uh, first and foremost, uh, you could email us. And if that is still a thing that happens, uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, we actually have had some emails in the past, and so we would like to receive more to hear your thoughts. Uh, also, you could find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast, one word. We've had a couple of new follows and likes in the recent week. Uh, also, Brigham shared a article about hoverboards actually becoming a real thing uh, in the next year, which for all you Back to the Future diehards is a lot of geeky fun. Uh, and we've had a few likes and comments about uh, albums, our pictures from the live show that we did, and just different information related to that. And so we've had some uh, some connection there, but we'd like to hear some more voices and comments on what we're producing. So, Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media? The podcast which you're about to hear is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of four youths, in particular Arthur Gordon and his invalid mentor, Dustin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young, but had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished, to hear as much of the pretentious and the meandering as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer movie viewing became incomprehensible. The events of that podcast were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American cinema. The Oklahoma Twitter Massacre. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Any feedback coming in from the Twitter, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Oh, not really. Brad Leperson uh, recommended us to the takeaway. I'm going to keep saying it for as long as I'm alive. I'll stop doing it when you stop laughing. You're damn right. <laughs> um, Brad um, apparently follows a podcast slash radio show distributed by PRI, that's Public Radio International, called The Takeaway, which is live radio on the American Conversation. Uh, and they do a movie segment, and they were saying, uh, the Movie Date podcast is out. Here's a review of Dear White People and the new film Fury and some movie trivia. And Brad said, if you're going to listen to a movie p- to the Movie Date podcast, you should check out Good Trash for insight on movies we all love. So I'm guessing the takeaways affiliated with this uh, date movie or Movie Date podcast in some way. So thank you, Brad. Appreciate that. Uh, we've got a new follower in the way of Benjamin L. Corey. Um, and he's got 31... 33,000 followers and 28,000 following, so I'm guessing he's just one of those guys that follows everybody he comes across, so you're useless to me, Benjamin Corey. (laughs) (laughs) What if he was going to be the biggest fan? What if he was one of the workers on that movie podcast with PRI and you just dismissed him? Stop following so many fucking people. It'll be easier to take you seriously, Benjamin Corey. Uh, Caleb Masters, that's at Big Cal Kenobi uh, on the Twitter, asked if there would be any Q&A for the Good Trash live show. Um, well, if you're time traveling, you can see that. If not, too late. Turns out there was. There was. And uh, it was interesting. And you can listen to our live show if you would like to hear that Q&A. Lots of tweets and retweets uh, and favorites. Uh, Nick Sanford tweeted at us, quote, I may have the that wallpaper, but at doll underscore stew has those sideburns, end quote, my mom, and tagged the Good Trash Genre cast. And if you were at or have listened to the live show, you know exactly what that is referring to. That tweet almost sounds like she has sideburns. It does, actually. I will read it one more time. <laughs> Why haven't we taken stills from Tempest Fugit of him being in it 
and posted them on all of our social media. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, Dalton, Dalton doesn't need to be a meme. Yeah, yeah. He's already got a big enough Man, email. Nope. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. We can make it the cover photo on oh, Facebook. So chubby in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Last bit of feedback before we bring this train to the station. We had a bit of feedback. I'm sorry. Caleb Vesley asked us, uh, why has Shocktober... I'm sorry, he worded this in a very confusing manner. Caleb, get better at tweeting. Uh, essentially, he asked... <laughs> also Nick. Oh, no, I'm sorry. What he said was, why has your next not been done in Shocktober? To which I said, the episode's about to drop. If you listened all the way to the end of Zombieland, you would have known that. Ooh. Uh, and he, I'm kidding, I didn't say that part. Burn. I just said, it's going to drop this weekend. And he said, this is why I love you. You can see the future, pleasing fans... And then I said, we deal in ancient logics. Logics with a K. And he said, I'm so bound. So good job for picking up on that Cabin in the Woods reference, Caleb. No suck at Vesley this week? No, no suck at Vesley. He, uh, he knew what references I was doing, so he gets a pass this time. Though I did compare him to Tariq, so we'll, well see. <laughs> you did do that. He well, didn't do anything on Facebook, though, so suck it, Vesley. <laughs> also, when he arrived at the live show, I asked him to leave. And by asked, I mean loudly demanded he leave because he had not been invited. That's too oh funny. All righty. Well, thank you very much. Of course, dear listener, we are in the process of scheduling um, our uh, review palooza that is going to occur between episodes numbers 99 and 100. This episode that is about to drop is number 95. As you're listening right now, you're listening to episode 95. And so it's just about four episodes away uh, in which you might be trying to drop. And we want to drop those reviews to happen all in the same week. That way we sort of start trending as far as iTunes is concerned. And that's very helpful for us for getting this message out there to having more of these conversations. So we're the first time ever you're listening to a podcast where we ask you not to write a review this week, we ask you to wait a few weeks. Start thinking about it now. We know you've been thinking about it. We know you're like every time you listen to the show, you think, oh, I really should do that for these people. I enjoy the material they're putting out, and it's a free podcast to me. This is the one way that you can say thank you that actually could be helpful, again, getting the conversation further out there. You may not know this, listener, but the way uh, Apple's iTunes metrics work for their podcasts is it's not just based on listens and downloads. A lot of it is based on how many reviews they have, and the more reviews a show gets – the easier it is to find that show, the more it comes up. And if you like this podcast, you might like this podcast. So write those reviews. Help other people find this thing that you like uh, because, I mean, you keep listening. If you don't like us, why are you listening? And the algorithm is indeed time-based. So if, you, if it all happens within a week, iTunes will notice. Yes, they will. So thank you very much for that, and uh, we look forward to all future feedback to get. And, of course, once we receive that, we will read those reviews, and we would love to read a whole bunch of reviews for episode number 100. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the celebration of that particular centennial milestone that's coming up. But enough blather about that. Guys, it's time to play the game. Greetings and welcome. I want to play a game. This week's game is our favorite films based on true stories. That's right, favorite films based on true stories, brought to you by The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When you like true stories, maybe don't make them up. (laughs) (laughs) That is an important suggestion. (laughs) Listener, if you ever ever meet anyone who tries to insist this movie is in fact based on a true story... First of all, hit them. Hard. And then make them watch The Blair Witch. And second of all, assume that they are not someone you need to talk to any longer. <laughs> and also assume that they don't know what the internet is. 
All right. Well, we're going to play this game again. Just favorite films that are based on true events. Um, I ask you first, Miss Alexandra Bo- Bohannon, what do you say? Well, I have uh, a handful here. Hopefully none of you schlubs have picked them as well. We have that problem here. I know. I called you schlubs. Okay. Um, first of all, I love American Hustle. That is a good movie. Also, not entirely factual. And you can always thank God for me. Um, I also like the... It's definitely one that's kind of based on true events. Yeah. Um, I also like, gosh, 1990-somethings Anast- animated Anastasia. I want to say 98. 98, probably. We had to sing a bunch of those sh- songs in choir. The Talking Bat is made up. He's delightful. But with a who and a hi-yano, and then I kick her, sir. Yeah. It's a fun movie. It is a fun movie, and I, and I definitely liked it growing up. And then this one is a little more true to life, definitely, but um, some romanticized events. The King's Speech, that is a good movie, and um, based on true events, but I'm not a, a scholar of that time period in uh, British history, so I couldn't tell you how accurate it is. Do you know the F word? Fornicate? No, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen it in ages. It's a good movie. It it's is. currently streaming on Netflix. Oh, oh, one more, one more. I actually got one while I was talking. Shakespeare in Love. That is a that is a good movie that is based on Shakespeare, who is a, uh, a, a human person. being <laughs> that once existed. But that movie, not a true story. Well, it's no more a true story than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yes. Right, exactly. I, and, but at least it is more directly related to a real historical person. Although, I know this is based on Gein, but he wasn't known as Leatherface and didn't have a cannibal family. And didn't use a chainsaw. That too. Um, but the fun fact, Texas Chainsaw Massacre... Uh, no, not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Shakespeare. Shakespeare. <laughs> One play of Shakespeare is Texas Chainsaw. Is that a chainsaw I see before me? <laughs> oh my god! Best movie ever. Okay. Now chainsaws me. Does I not bleed? <laughs> Get I, thee to a slaughterhouse. I bite my throttle at you, sir. <laughs> me, sir? No, not. I don't bite it at you, sir. I just I bite it and suck those, it. <laughs> those pounds of flesh are more accurate, though. Uh, Boom! Nailed it! Oh, hey guys, I, you know what I just thought of? What? Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh, in Venice. Not Coriolanus, but um. Oh, Titus Andronicus. Titus Andronicus. There we go. There we go. So yeah, Titus Andronicus. Do you like boyfriend AKA, head pie? <laughs> yeah, Titus Andronicus, aka William Shakespeare's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's true. Okay, um, Shakespeare in Love. That was my first or R-rated movie. Um, Mom took it to the, the- me to the theaters and. Um, the direct play director that told her to go see it didn't tell about the uh, lots of sex scenes. Gwyneth so. Paltrow's boobs. And boobs. <laughs> yeah. So, um, fun fact. I don't see why you can't see those. But I know. Right I have along. some, too. So. <laughs> There's a pair, right? Uh, so, moving right along. Thank you very much, Mr. Alexander Bohan. And Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Well, based solely off the validation of Shakespeare in Love, Abe Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. <laughs> Which is about as true Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> Because there was Abe Lincoln, and he was a president. That's all the facts you need. Uh, I would say, just because I am cheesy and schlocky, and it has a sentimental place, I would say, remember the Titans? Oh, Disney's yeah. football inspiri- ins- inspiring, inspiring do- film. Uh, I would also say, <laughs> following Remember the Titans, uh, some of these just came up in recent years because I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Captain Phillips was mm-hmm. a very fun, oh, very extreme was, was and intense picks. movie. Very well played. Sorry to steal that from you. Um, because it's it's exciting, and I you know I hear a lot that the actual Captain Phillips is kind of a douchebag uh, compared to his Tom Hanksy 
uh, caricature. Typically are, just like Looney Tunes with uh He's Michael a cargo Jordan. ship captain. Of course he is. But uh, I, I think that's just a really fun movie, uh, and it's really, really well done. I would also say from last year as well, The Conjuring, uh, which we recently did here on the show. It's based, based in quotes. Based on yeah. a true story. <laughs> Maybe. And, and they were also dicks as well. Wasn't <laughs> that the thing? The we, Warrens? The Warrens, yes. I, I assume it's based on true story and that they probably went in and ripped some people off of their money and uh, went on about their business. And finally, I would say early 90s, uh, the the man, Mr. Scorsese's Goodfellas, uh, would be one I would add on the list, list of the pantheon of based off of a true story and based off of real events films. But I think Goodfellas stands the test of time. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your picks? Well, I'm going to work from most quantifiably true to least quantifiably true and start with the David O. Russell film, The Fighter. Uh, Alex had a David O. Russell picture on her her picks. I I really like The Fighter starring uh, Mark Wab, Mac Wabick, and um, Christian Bale, and um, Amy Adams, and Uh, and Melissa Leo, Leo, who got uh, that Best Supporting Actress nomination, obviously Christian, or win. And Christian Bale, who got the Best Actor win. I like The Fighter a lot. I'm a big fan of that movie. I don't like sports movies. I can't tell you how much I don't like sports movies. I think The Fighter is a great film. um, And I can't more strongly recommend it. And all the things that happen in that movie happen, including the HBO documentary starring um, Mickey Ward's uh, half-brother, whose name I can't remember for some reason right now. Dick Dick Ellison? Dick Eccleson? Something. Dickie. Um, That happened. That's a real thing. You can watch that HBO documentary. Um, next things you can't really quantify, but there's a book about it and people don't refute it. And that's the Wolf of Wall Street, another Martin Scorsese film from Arthur's picks. Um, we don't really know how much of that story is true. We don't know how much of, uh, Jordan Belfort's autobiography actually happened. Uh, we do know that everything that happens in the Wolf of Wall Street is pretty much straight from his autobiography though. So there's that. And I like that movie a lot and it just came out recently. So it's fresh in my mind. Last, and definitely the least quantifiable, is the Clint Eastwood classic, The Outlaw Josie Wales, which is one of my very favorite westerns of all time. And also, there's not a snowball's chance in hell any of the things that happened in that movie really happened, but Josie Wales was a real guy who really killed people. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. As Arthur mentioned, Captain Phillips is one of my picks, and I do really, really enjoy that film. I do want to check out the Danish film that sort of preceded it, a hijacking, currently streaming on Netflix about a different um, hijacking. And uh, so this sort of based on true events, but I'm not making it a recommend because I have not yet seen it. Smalley Pirates are busy. uh, Though the reviews are quite a lot better for it. It's underseen, I understand. You said it's a doc, right? It's not a doc. It's It's not a doc. No, it's it's, it's a narrative film. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, it's on Netflix currently. So check it out and uh, tell me what you think, dear listener, if you get to it before I do. I also want to mention a Western. Uh, I love me some wider, and so Tombstone is definitely the superior film, which is less based on true events compared to Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp, which I think is a par- far poorer film. Um, but I really love Kurt Russell's performance. And, of course, I love me some Val Kilmer. I'm your Huckleberry. I'm your Huckleberry. Uh, and so that's that's a movie that I really, really like a lot. Um, I'm going to say another movie that's sort of very, very loosely based on true events in that there's a thing that sort of happened, and then they ran with it like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's Jaws. Oh, yeah, I saw that, too. I was thinking of that one. They actually referenced the thing that actually happened in Jaws. There was there was a, there was a chain of shark attacks, and in that's what Peter Benchley thought, I will write a movie, or rather a novel, about that, and it later became the film. I'm going to add one more pick. Is that cool? It's totally cool. Off of that kind of idea. I'm going to say Rope from Alfred Hitchcock, which is loosely based off of some uh, a murder or event in, I believe, England or New England in the early 1900s of similar 
magnitude. And so rope, I think, is is an interesting one to add in there. And I just want to cite that, you know, there's this thing called horror. And, you know, what's crazy about horror and this sort of being based on true events thing is that uh, what's, what's terrifying about it is that there really is genuine human depravity. Uh, that takes place, and uh, that that really is just awful, evil stuff. Life and, is often more horrifying than fiction. And I think horror in some ways helps us deal with that. Uh, the events in the first half hour of Jeepers Creepers mostly occurred that there was a couple driving along. They noticed a, a peculiar uh, license plate, and then they saw a body being disposed no of. shit yeah it's a thing it happened there's terrible things and you know huh. there's a whole lot of real life things that are just just absolutely terrifying i'll just tell you a quick story dorothy dixon in canada uh was uh, mentally handicapped six months pregnant age 35 and she was terrorized for three weeks by uh, about a half dozen people three of which were under the age of 18 and eventually starved to death and beaten with a baseball bat um uh, while Fuck. in her home which is messed up and it's the movie's coming out, and the, the point Whoa. being, there's, I mean, what what we're dealing with, we're dealing with horror, and we're doing this sort of based on true events thing. I, I can't even recount the details of what happened, but yeah, um, an American crime um, starring a very young Ellen Page, and I believe Barbara Hershey, an actress of similar, I love her. an actress of similar age and career, um, an American crime, Google it. That shit happened. I, I don't even want to talk about it because it's that bad. Well, that even takes us back to Compliance. Which oh, is my God. Very Absolutely. hard movie to watch. Oh, God, that movie. And, and, and the, the point being, dear listener, as we've, we've done this sort of very schlocky, very exploitative film um, at, for, for our analysis and this gameplay that we're doing this evening, it, it, it's, it's because real life needs to be processed, and so many of these stories get buried. And mm -hmm. uh, there, there is, I think, a, a very cathartic and uh, you know, real tangible value uh, in dealing with a film like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I, I like that we played this game Me too. Uh, for this reason. And so thank you very much, dear co-hosts, uh, for your picks and uh, for how cinema helps us meditate on what has happened in human history and society. Let's move on to what we always move on to. Let's finish up this um, because I think we're all fired up. Yeah! Turn me up. Uh. Yo, uh. my crew is all fired up. Y'all better just rise up. What? Everybody getting sized up. Yeah. Before we all rise up, start running your times up. Cause when my crew ride up, the sky gon' light up. Everybody get high. And it's time to talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Mr. Dalton Sturdy, are you fired up? I certainly am, my good man. Uh, I went to the multiplex twice this weekend. I had the good fortune of seeing both the phenomenal John Wick starring Keanu Reeves. Uh, listener, you may or may not know this by now. I love dumb action movies. And I don't mean I love dumb action movies like The Expendables. Because that's the kind of dumb action movie I don't like. I love really lean, small-scale, gritty action movies like Dread and The Raid uh, and Universal Soldier, colon, Day of Reckoning, which went direct to on-demand. I like that kind of stuff. Uh, that's fun for me. John Wick is phenomenally well shot, really fun to watch. Um, and um, Keanu Reeves plays Neo again, uh, essentially, um, but with a dash of, I don't know, Charles Bronson. So check that out. It's a lot of fun. It's well shot. It's dumb, and I liked it. I also got to check out the David Ayer film Fury, which I mentioned last week is something I wanted to see. I got to watch it. 
Um, it is bleak and depressing and gloomy like war films should be. Uh, because if if it teaches you anything, it teaches you two things. One is something that David Ayer has already taught us several times, and that is hard, depressing jobs forge fast and strong friendships. And also, war can turn even the most bright-eyed boy into a fucking psychopath. Um, and Fury is just a really good movie. Um, it's well made. I, I I'm not as resistant to uh, war films as a lot of intellectuals are. Um, I find I like them sometimes. I don't unequivocally like them, but I've said that a lot this show. Uh, I don't always like them, but uh, I find them interesting more often than not, even when I dislike them. But I really enjoyed Fury, both from a filmmaking standpoint and from what it had to say about war standpoint. Um, So I would recommend checking that out. Um, On the Netflix, I watched uh, a couple of films that I was really excited about. I got to see the um, Starving Sports Part 2, colon, Combusting. And uh, I liked it quite a bit. Translation, Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Yeah, I, I liked that a lot. And um, as you know, I'm not a big fan of the Hunger Games, the first one. Catching Fire kind of blew my face off. Yeah, it's pretty solid. I really enjoyed it's, it a lot. It's really, really quite good. I need to see it. Um, and I saw a, a film that I heard about a long time ago and just never got around to, and that's Joseph Kahn's Detention. Joseph Kahn has directed one other feature film, and that is Torque. That is the motorcycle kung fu movie. It's infamous. You've probably heard about it. Adam Scott's in it. No big deal. Uh, Detention is best described. I'll describe it to you um, in the ways that I saw it described after I watched it. And that is Scream meets Scott Pilgrim and a movie in which every single character is the main character of a different high school movie, including Juno and Donnie Darko and Spider-Man and um, anything Michael Sarah's ever been in and Revenge of the Nerds. It is... Sounds good to me. It's a hard... it's not for everybody. It is got ADD on its brain. It is fast. There's very little time when there isn't on-screen text sh- shouting at you. It's funny and different and interesting, and I'm really grateful for having watched it. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? Uh, slightly. Uh, rumor is that we have a Doctor Strange, and it may, could very well be Mr. Benedict Cumberbatch of Sherlock fame. So I like that selection. I, I have to that. say, after you know seeing Nick Sanford again, I have to say the resemblance to Benedict Cumberbatch is striking in my book. So, Nick, if you're listening to that, take that and uh, run with it and dress up in a suit and get some chicks after you. Ladies. <laughs> Ladies. He is as Asperger-y as Sherlock Holmes is. So... <laughs> oh, my God. It works. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Everybody's got a doppelganger. I'll say it backwards. Wow. Uh, the other thing is that... Or mom. The other thing I would say is that in a couple of weeks, I will be attending the Comic-Con in Tulsa uh, that our guest host spoke of last week. Wizard World? Yes, that is it. On November 7th, 8th, and 9th, I'll be going up on Saturday and getting to see some pretty cool people. And I'm really excited as it's my first con. But I am very excited about that. And I believe that's all I've got going this week. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, are you fired up this week? I am. I'm fired up about just one thing only. Dear listener, I want you to go down to your county election board office, and I want you to make sure that you have everything in place for you to vote. It is past voter registration for you to be able to register for the gubernatorial election. And so if you, yes, if you are not yet registered, then 
you are out of luck. But if you are, then you have some great tools at your disposal to know where your polling place is at the um, state election board website to even look at your ballot. You can get a sample ballot where that lists all of your choices for your particular district. You can, you know, map it all out so it's just quick and painless and you know who to vote for when you go in and then you get that spiffy I'm voting stick I voted sticker which is maybe the best fashion accessory on the planet I would say so um I would just encourage you because I know this show will drop before election day on November 4th that you will you should go and vote because the next one won't it'll because be late because election day is my birthday and your birthday present to me dear listener is that you would participate in our political process. Dear listener, you can register to vote at your tag agency, your post office, and your local Department of Human Resources county offices. Those are three different buildings, and there are at least one, if not more, per county in the state of Oklahoma. I don't know about other places, because I just I live in vote in one. But fucking do that. I agree with Alex. Obviously, yeah. it's too late to vote in this one. If you're already registered, get out and vote. If you're not, you know, get signed up for next time, man. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. It is a big election coming up. I've got a couple cinematic things that I am fired up about as well. Mr. Martin Scorsese, um, we know that he's working on his Japanese um, Jesuit picture, but in the meantime, he's making a documentary because that's what he does. So he's making a Ramones documentary currently. And I, what? I'm very, I thought he was going to do a Ramones biopic. Uh, and I believe it's a documentary from what, I, what I'm reading currently I in keep, the information that I have. He's a name that keeps getting passed around every time they talk about a Ramones biopic. He keeps getting talked about. Well, I'd rather have that. I, mean, um, I'd, all, I want both. Yeah. I'm also very fired up. Um, I don't know if you guys remember when we were when we were all at the University of Central Oklahoma and uh, there were these uh, passports to different countries and the yes, passport yes. to France. Uh, I don't know if any of you caught the Sleeping Beauty. I, I remember going to that screening. I don't remember if any of you were there with me when I saw it. But Catherine, Catherine Brielle uh, is a great filmmaker. I've seen a handful of her films. And she's going to be making her first English language feature, which is sort of a Australian slash Yakuza film. And uh, I don't know how that works, but Neither I love do I. her. And so I'm very, Sold. I'm very, very excited to uh, catch that. So stay tuned, dear listener, for more details about Catherine Brielle. Uh That's it for the show, though, dear listener. Thank you so much for listening and enduring the entirety of horrors that we experienced during Shocktober. And we're so glad you hang out with us through all this. Next week, guess what? We start a brand new month-long marathon for the month of November. It's TV time, dear listener. And so we're going to all each individual host is going to pick a TV program and then we're going to watch three episodes of said program unless the pilot's 90 minutes and i believe all of our picks are outside of that restriction mine's 45 yeah all all of our picks i believe the first the pilots are all under 90 minutes so we'll be watching the first three episodes do we want to announce all of our picks now yeah what's the are order you, sure ready? why not well I'm, I'm getting to pick first and i'm picking the west wing which will be next week oh i'm next uh, my pick is veronica mars and that'll be the week after that episode drops so after the west wing veronica mars time i will then be choosing the netflix original orange is the new black and finally i will be picking the greatest television series of all time hbo's the wire there are arguments made for that so it'll be lots of fun all of these picks uh other than the wire are available on netflix especially orange is the new black uh the wire is available on hbo go and amazon prime um veronica mars is only available on amazon prime they pulled it off of netflix tits and not the good kind yes or you could just come over and watch it with me because i have all the dvds i guess that's an option 
So there you go, dear listener. You know what's happening next week. The West Wing, Martin Sheen, Rob Lowe. What more do you need? Uh, and so in the meantime, catch a movie, have a conversation, think about how the world is put together in the ways that the films are put together. And by having that meaningful conversation, we might le- live more satisfying lives. But in the meantime, watch a movie and have a great time. And until then, we'll see you next time. Hey, boys, it's the men here to see you. Want me to shoot them? Release the hound. Let's slip the dogs of war. Nope, wrong direction. There, go. Be free. And, you know, cry havoc if you want. Cry havoc. Cannon to the left. Cannon to the right. I'm sorry, Shakespeare. We just start shouting Shakespeare. <laughs> Hath not a Jew eyes, hands, affections. Does is it not? Are they not warm by the same sun and cooled by the same winter as a Christian? Kafka. Prick us, do we not? Prick. Tickle us, do we not laugh? Tickle. Don't tickle Wrong me. us, will we not avenge? I feel like that's perpetrating unfair stereotypes about Jews seeking revenge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking well, of Well, no, they're, they're, they're the same people as Christians. Shakespeare's being quite progressive. Yeah. Well. about to say V is for vagina? <laughs> or, or I was going to say my middle name is Victoria. Okay, because you said V is for v-, v is for my middle name. And I knew your middle name started with a V. We I didn't all know, know what it was. V is for Vendetta. There you go. That's what my middle name actually tonight. is. Alexandra Vendetta Bohannon. I dig it. Okay. Arthur, you gonna do it with me? Ain't no mountain high. There you go. Cause baby, there ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough.
Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, baby. Thanks, Alex. This You're is my welcome. life. We got to the key somewhere Have in there. Have fun editing that, fuckface.